This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. Now, we've all heard about what the most important factor is in the child welfare profession. Not exactly a new technology, not exactly a new tool to use, and not even at times money. There's no question that the most important factor in the child welfare profession and bringing about positive outcomes are the people performing the work. And to improve all of those outcomes, you need to focus on that workforce. Hi, everyone. Tom Oates from Information Gateway here. And when I mean workforce, I mean all the factors and components that go into identifying, recruiting, developing, coaching, and managing staff, plus the environment staff perform their work, the policies they adhere to, the tools they use, and including the culture where they work. Because all of it matters. And to improve retention or performance or outcomes, a single training delivered over a few days most likely isn't going to support a systemic change effort that's sustainable. So what we're doing is we're starting a four-part series on workforce development. Over the next four episodes, you're going to hear about how a holistic approach to workforce development is being applied at different levels, from an entire state perspective, from the view of local agencies, and even down to the individual level, focusing on a university agency partnership. So from the macro to the micro level, you'll get a sense of what a holistic approach looks like, the concepts involved, examples of how change was implemented, including the must-haves necessary for success. But before we share some examples, we're going to dedicate this episode to explaining why taking a long-term holistic approach to your workforce is so valuable. And then we're going to dive into introducing you to the Workforce Development Framework, developed by the National Child Welfare Workforce Institute. You'll notice pretty quickly how the Workforce Development Framework parallels the approach professionals take to strengthening families. And just as there's no quick fix for children and families, there is no quick fix for workforce either. But... If done correctly, both can lead to real, sustainable change. So this is part one of our four-part series on workforce development. And so for this, we got together with Charmaine Britton and Sharon Collar from NICWI's workforce development team, and they were both contributors to the framework itself. We discussed the components of the framework and how the full assessment is actually performed. So I want you to listen to the value of investing in staff, both from a cost and a lives perspective that both Sharon and Charmaine discuss. Having a sense of all the components that influence workforce is a great way to set up our series on workforce development. And so we're really excited about taking this deep look at this subject, and you're really going to hear the passion that comes across, not only in this episode, but in all the episodes where we look at workforce development. And that's where we go with first with the Workforce Development Framework here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. So we kick it off with the folks from the National Child Welfare Workforce Institute. 
Charmaine and Sharon, thank you guys for uh, joining us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. It's great to be here, Tom, and to talk about our favorite subject, workforce development. Well, let's just go right into it here. Um, The importance obviously is clear for agencies. Uh, They understand that it's bigger than, you know, a Band-Aid approach or a training that you just slap down, but they've got to sell it up the chain. So talk to me about like when we start talking about putting a value on, on staff. What what are you guys learning about the total cost of, of turnover in terms of, of a finance or, or an outcomes level? Sure. Thanks, Tom. You know, I think what we know is that the child welfare workforce is really an agency's most important asset. Um, you know, we hear that the financial costs are high. We There was a study in Texas that showed that it costs $54,000 to replace one worker and that's the cost that include training, that include orientation, all of the different pieces. And so we know that there is a high financial cost to losing workers. But we also know that uh, if we are able to reduce turnover, it ends up with um, our investigations are more timely. Workers will have more visits and contacts with children and families and their resource families. Their service delivery is, is at a higher quality. And ultimately, we have better safety, permanency, and well-being outcomes um, for the children and families that we serve. You know, you, you talk about turnover is is if you're able to reduce that and staff gain experience, they they appreciate in value. And so the longer somebody's around, the more experience they have, the better they are supposedly at doing their job. There's a skills and competency aspect to that. But something else, at least when we get into the workforce development framework, that also deals with the culture. It, what yeah, culture is something that somebody thinks about of, of, okay, it's not exactly office parties. So talk to me about what culture means in terms of the framework and how that can actually impact things like you mentioned, the bottom line cost and the outcomes. Sure. You know, we, there's a growing body of evidence that shows that the culture and climate has such a strong impact on sta- staff satisfaction, on turnover, on the, our ability and quality of service delivery. Um, and what we know, when we talk about culture, we, we know that negative cultures are those defensive cultures. They uh, are characterized by excessive documentation, bureaucracy, um, that hierarchy, and that those really have a negative impact on our staff. But that ideally, the culture and climate of an agency will be positive, it'll be solution-focused, uh, diverse points of view are encouraged, new ideas are valued, and all of those pieces put together have a staff that knows that they're valued, they stay, they want to do good work, they're committed to the families that they serve, um, and they want to work in a team. So we know that uh, that those types of culture, the learning cultures, the strong leadership and a clear vision um, can really help tie the work that's, that's happening in the field to the values of the agency and results in better practice. Um, recently, I met a foster mom. And she had a 23-month-old child that she started fostering when he was three weeks old. We had a conversation, and she told me that she has now gone through five workers. This, there's no permanency yet for this child. They have not had their permanent hearing. He's 23 months old. They don't have their final hearing for another five months. This child has not received permanency and it's been, it will have been about 28 months. So that is the cost of turnover. Five workers resulted in this 
two-year-old boy not having permanency. Yes, it's expensive to have workers turn over. $54,000 is a lot of money, but the cost to a child, that is priceless. So clearly we're talking about outcomes, both in terms of an agency looking at its its bottom line and its culture, but the huge impact to the outcomes of the lives of children and families. So Charmaine, let's dive right into the workforce development fr- framework here. Uh, from a big picture perspective, why this large holistic approach? Mm-hmm. We have been involved in workforce development for many years. And we, we I say we, I'm talking about the larger NICWI team of our consortium of universities and people who have been working in the workforce arena since the early 2000s, when the Children's Bureau first recognized this as an issue. And it continues to gain momentum. What we've learned over the years is that workforce is not one issue. It is many issues. It's about supervision and the organizational culture and climate that Sharon spoke about. It's about performance management. It's about good recruitment. So as part of NICWI, what we did is we scanned the child welfare literature and the business literature and the medical literature to look at what makes a difference in workforce. And so through this intensive and extensive literature review, we started to gather the components of what makes for effective workforce. And we then kind of started to apply a theory to it and an approach, a framework for how all of those pieces connect together. And what we came up with was driven by the literature Uh, by best practices, what works in workforce development. And we created this holistic approach to workforce that is planful and looks at the assessment process and then carefully analyzes the various components that we know make a difference in workforce development. Let me give you an example of this. In my own work a few years ago, I was working with the state and they were convinced that the issue that they had related to workforce development was around supervisor competencies. And if they just had the right supervisor competencies, they would solve their many of their workforce uh, issues. In our conversations with the state, we took a step back. And we started to say, what is the real issue here? What is it that's really impacting the work? And it turned out through the assessment process that it was multiple issues that needed to be addressed. If we hadn't taken that step back and just looked deeper into what was happening with the state, we would have been solving the wrong problem. So this approach asks entities to look carefully and thoughtfully about what's happening and to then 
apply a structured approach to addressing their workforce issues. And here's the cool thing. This is what we do with families. This is the parallel process. We don't just jump in and say, ah, a family needs parenting classes, and that's the answer to the situation. No, when we work with families, we figure out what's really happening. We In child welfare, we have gone through uh, a transformation in terms of assessing and engaging our families. Let's do that with our workforce too. And the WDF applies this holistic integrated approach that starts with assessment. So, and I want to dive into the assessment uh, in just a second, but you mentioned the components, those identified components that, that you know, factor into a workforce, Charmaine. So could you give me a sense for someone who may not be familiar with the framework of what those components really are? Because frankly, you mentioned somebody may assume, oh, it's just supervisor training or our, our folks aren't coming in with the right skills. But in looking over the components, there's way more than that. There is indeed. It starts with an assessment, and we'll talk about that. And then it's looking at the components. In our framework, if you look at our visual, in the middle are the vision, mission, and values. And in a lot of systems, this is encapsulated in their practice model. And in fact, I, I like to really promote the use of a practice model for being the center pole in helping to create a well-balanced organizational culture. The next level is leadership. And we're talking about leadership at all levels, from the caseworker to the agency director and executive management. So leadership is key for these individual components. There's a circle of individual components. And let's start with supervision and performance management. There's that. Supervision has shown in the research to be key to workers staying or going. The next one going around the wheel is job analysis and position requirements. Do they match with what people's expectations are? The next component is educational and professional preparation. It's the, about the university partnerships. The universities provide our pipeline to our workforce. So we want to have strong education and preparation for people coming into the workforce. The next component is recruitment, screening, and selection. Are we getting the right people? Are we identifying people of diverse backgrounds, people who reflect the clients that know what they're getting into? Because frankly, there are a lot of idealistic social workers who come into our workforce. We want them to know that we're happy that you have your idealism, but let's be real about what people can expect. So understanding what the components of the job are, what it's going to be really like are, is important for keeping our workforce because we don't want them to be disappointed. 
The next area uh, is incentive and work conditions. This is about pay sometimes, but in our work across the country, we also know that pay is not sufficient. There are other incentives that can help people stay at the agency in the work conditions. Sharon talked about the organizational culture and climate. Is it a compliance or defensive culture, or is it a work environment that really values the people? Uh, so incentives are inclusive of not just pay. Pay is important, but that's never sufficient. Uh, you've got to have all of those other things that create an environment where people want to be in. The next component is professional development and training. And in this component, we want to prepare our workers and supervisors and middle managers, the whole continuum of the staff for their job so that they feel confident to do their jobs. Because if they don't feel confident and they don't have that self-efficacy, they're going to get frustrated and they may leave. The next component, organizational environment. This is about whether or not the organizational environment is supportive or it's a defensive organizational environment, as Sharon spoke about. Some people call it a compliance-based culture. One of the things that can mediate against that compliance-based culture or defensive culture is a really strong practice model that helps to create that framework on which all practice and relationships in the organization are built. So the organizational environment is a huge component of workforce development. Uh, some of these components, they're not equal. Organizational environment is a huge component and needs to be addressed with multiple interventions and uh, attention to it in a, in a real organized and purposeful fashion. The last component is the community context. All right, so the community context is about the agency within the community. It's about the partnerships that the agency has with various community members from people throughout the system to faith-based community to community agencies and providers. It's about the media attention that the agency receives. Have there been any high-profile cases that have resulted in tragedy? So building a positive community context is really important because then workers feel valued uh, and the agency feels valued. For listeners, uh, in the show notes for this podcast, I'll make sure I send a link out so you can see the visual that Charmaine uh, was talking about. We'll also, as, as you mentioned about setting the right expectations for staff, we'll have a link out to uh, the realistic job previews over on Information Gateway, which are videos produced by uh, a number of states to give you a sense of a real day in the life of, of what, uh, what working in the field is. And it gives those prospective employees, those candidates, a sense of what they really would be, be walking into. And so those are all the components, but there is the assessment that we wanted to get into. So Sharon, let's get into that. How can an agency, you know, think about this type of assessment to, to, re to really execute it uh, appropriately? Because you're not 
going to assess just one aspect of the organization. How, how do you guys prepare an agency for, for what they're in for and to kind of broaden their horizons on what your assessment looks like? Great. Thanks, Tom. You know, I think one of our challenges is that we're all, um, we look to jumping to those components that Charmaine just described before doing a full and thorough um, assessment process. You know, we think, we know that, tra- we think training is a solution or we think that, you know, we're having a lot of turnover, so it must be around our recruitment strategies. But without doing a full planning process and really assessing our data and thinking about our, our organization and all the different aspects of it, we again may end up with the wrong solution or may not really clearly identify what the problem is. So if you look at our graphic, you'll see that the left-hand side of the graphic really provides you with steps in a planning process. And this process centers around a quality, uh, continuous quality improvement approach, which should be familiar to most of our audience. A lot of our agencies have continuous quality uh, improvement or parts of our organizations. We're thinking about continuous quality improvement. It's a, it's a known uh, factor in our field. So you know, I think most folks, when they look at our, our process, these steps are gonna seem familiar to them. Uh, what we know is that as we d- thought about these steps in the planning process is that we know that the nature of the work changes. It changes over time. Our workforce changes over time. The needs of our children and families and communities change. And so we want to have a process that's proactive um, rather than reactive so that we can make sure that our strategies are really based on good information. So again, these steps are familiar. The first one is what is the need? We want to do a full organizational assessment of what is our current, what are our values, what is the mission of our agency, what is the anticipated direction of our agency, and how does that fit, and how is that going to change? What is the workforce needs as we think about our vision, our mission, um, and the direction that the agency may go in? The second step is looking at gather, actually gathering the data. Do we have reliable information? Looking at it, taking a comprehensive approach, looking at funding for our agency. Are there legislate, legislative changes that we see on the horizon or that have been uh, implemented recently? What are the demographic forecasts? Not only for our whole, com- really for our whole community. So we're thinking about what's the demographics of the folks that we're recruiting to work in our agency, but what are also the demographics of the folks that we're serving? So gathering data from a number of different areas. Um, And then we have to analyze that data. Think about what's the supply and demand? Do we know, now that we have a sense of who we're going to be serving and the needs of the the community, do we have the right staff in our agency to serve them as best we possibly can? And so that analyzing of the data is really informed by both an organizational assessment as well as an environmental assessment. And then step four is analyzing the gaps. So what are the gaps in human capital? And looking at um, the data that we have and then trying to figure out what are, what are our needs. Um, and then step five is closing the gaps. It's really looking at those, com- those 10 components that Charmaine just talked about, starting with the vision, mission, and values all the way through um, to, the, uh, to the others and saying, you know, what are the ones that we really need to focus on that are impacting as we look at the data? What are the pieces that we, where are we, do we need to start implementing strategies? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, we really do want to jump to the step that's where we always feel like we want to start, but doing this planning process will help us to identify which are the right components to begin with, knowing that they're, they're integrated, they're compensatory, we may need to focus more on organizational environment now, knowing that that will then have an impact on our supervision, and our performance management, and other pieces. 
Um, the final step in our planning process is around monitoring and evaluating progress and seeing if the strategies that we're implementing are having an, an impact. And we need to be paying attention to that evaluation process throughout, um, you know, as we're identifying our strategies, really thinking about what that evaluation will look like. Um, and then, you know, we have, it's a cycle. It's a continuous quality improvement process. And we're not done when we get to step six. We're, we're going to be continually looking at the data as the data changes um, and thinking about whether we need to take on different strategies or um, impact different components. You know, you, you bring up the the entire assessment process and you use the word data a number of times. So it's got to give agencies a sense of this is not something that you execute in quarter three. This is something that you execute over a period of time. And the biggest part of that is what you're going to learn. You know, when so an agency realizes that this is a huge, huge investment for them, that's going to hopefully allow them to say, okay, this is not a quick fix and therefore it's not a quick solution. But the assessment does give you a sense of where do I need to focus my energy? So Charmaine, somebody identifies those, those primary needs. Um, now, how do you get the intervention? How does it look like of once you recognize where you need to focus? Talked about actually doing the work and implementing this. How does a, how does a state understand how to actually implement change and then sustain it along the way? Well, I, I, I'd like to just back up a little bit and and just reinforce this careful planning process. And in your planning process, we have developed the workforce development toolkit. And it's got several worksheets that will guide you through this process. So again, it's that parallel process of assessment to carefully look at what rises to the top and what needs to be addressed in a more thoughtful manner. It's not typically one thing. It's usually multiple things. And through this careful assessment process, it will rise to the top what those are. And when you start to figure out what needs to be done, you also have to consider some real situations in that you may have scarce resources. You may have limited time. Uh, so, and then you also have to consider what's going to make the biggest difference, both in the short term and the long term. The best way to do all of that is through your group of people who are committed to workforce development. It's not one person. It's a team from all levels of the agency. So that's part of the process is to engage a workforce development team to go through that assessment process and together to identify the priorities that are gonna make an impact on the workforce. So what we like to suggest to people is that you focus not just on the big ticket items, but also on the low hanging fruits. You want people and you want your agencies to be successful. So we would suggest both short term wins as well as focusing on those long term issues. For example, in one agency that I worked on, uh, one of the things that came out through the assessment process is that the agency was uh, not particularly clean. 
and not a very cheerful agency. So one of the interventions that they came up with was to paint some walls and clean up some spaces. And that right there buoyed the agency morale because they had a more cheerful place. The other thing, that, though, that they worked on concurrently was on their supervision to develop a consistent supervision approach, to have a model for providing supervision. And then the interventions were much more long-term, providing training and coaching to supervisors and implementing that supervision model. So we suggest that your approach be integrated, just like the model, and that you focus in on both short-term and long-term interventions that are going to really make a difference to your workforce. There's also an aspect from what I hear, you know, that change can't come from one area. It can't come from one person. It can't come from one department. And so if you've got this holistic approach, you also have this holistic sharing of, of you know, the, the, the energy and the work that has to be done. And alongside that, where everybody's got to contribute a little bit, everybody's also buying into the process. Are, are you seeing that? That's the key. You got to have that overall agency commitment from all levels of the workforce. It's just not one champion. It's just not an agency leader. That buy-in from across the agency is so important. We've also seen it in how people then take ownership of the interventions. And that's called distributed leadership. It's one of the pillars that the workforce development framework is built on is that if you distribute leadership and give people the opportunity to lead and to take ownership of all of these various interventions, then they rise to the challenge. They feel more committed to the agency and an impact is made on the agency to improve workforce development. Let me ask you about that specifically, because you've got a, a group at all levels in any kind of organization that they view themselves as we are the leaders, we're the decision makers. And then you can even have, you know, frontline staff or junior staff that may feel like they're the task executors and may not have that ownership. How are you seeing agencies at one level, accept ownership where maybe they weren't given that kind of responsibility or, or ownership um, before, and at another level, having to give up some of that leadership. So if you're going to share it, you've got one group that has to accept it and one group that has to kind of give up a little bit of control. How is that playing in, in some of the states and the agencies you're working with? Well, it's about courage, courage on both sides, having the courage to give up power, and having the courage to go out on a limb and take that power and, and do something differently. So that requires trust, courage and trust. So agency leadership is going to have to set the tone for that. Um, and they can do that through lots of communication. That's another key to this is the importance of communication, communication, communication. 
It's not location, location, location. It's communication, communication, communication in workforce development. And it, it means that leadership, particularly executive leadership, need to communicate a message of inclusiveness, of uh, belief in their workforce, and then the workforce needs to rise to that challenge. And if you have constant communication and you wrap all of that around your practice model, there's, there's the power in really making a difference in workforce development. And I hear that parallel process coming right back in of it's not always the child welfare professional that must lead the family to change, but you build your plan with the family. They have buy-in, they have ownership. And again, that's that parallel process that now you see through an organization and and through a workforce. So how does a leader, an executive at at that high level um, convince the state capital or, you know, the, the county commission to go through something like this where a training is faster and it's cheaper and sometimes it goes back to that compliance mentality of it checks off the box. How does an agency kind of get the go-ahead from maybe, you know, the, the real decision makers when it comes to a state or a county? It's for legislators, for commissioners, uh, for budget offices, it, the meeting is in the numbers, the costs. So I think showing the impact of a stable, retained workforce with costs, both the financial costs as well as the costs to children and families is what is important to communicate. So it's an investment in your workforce, and we see it over and over again that that's going to pay off in the long run to children and families, your communities, and your state. Yeah, both Charmaine, you had your stories of hearing about uh, that the five workers for for the one child who hadn't even you know reached uh, three years old yet, and, and Sharon, of course, you at the beginning talked about the dollar figure. So you see the impetus, you see you see the the the, the story that can be told to actually get all of this and kind of take that holistic approach and implement something like the workforce development framework. So Sharon. You, you get an agency leader who realizes that I need to, you know, have have this big picture approach. They they know they have a way to go. They know they want to improve outcomes or improve culture. How do they get started? Sure. Well, you know, we um, have spent a lot of time thinking about and trying to create tools that will help agencies really get started in this process. And, you know, as Charmaine mentioned earlier, having a team, pulling a team together from across the agency that can help support this effort and move the effort forward is one key first step. Um, But we've created a workforce development uh, toolkit that provides, as Charmaine said earlier, we have worksheets that describe each of the steps in the planning process, along with um, what the data indicators that you'll wanna look like and how to assess those. We have worksheets that help you assess all of the components. We're in the process of creating a facilitator's guide that will be ready in early 2018 that will help a leader at an agency walk a team through this whole process. And we're really excited about that product. It's We're in process right now. We're excited to, to really release that um, early in 2018. 
And that this whole toolkit and the facilitator's guide will provide all the background information, the steps, the supporting materials, um, and the supplemental information to help a team really progress through this process. And so one of the things we're going to do is just for folks listening, if you, if you go to the webpage for this particular podcast, just like we're going to have the link uh, for the, the, the visual that Charmaine talked about on the workforce development framework, we'll also give you a link to the toolkit that Sharon just mentioned. So you got easy access to take a look at, at that over on, uh, on NICWI's website. And so we've been using the term um, journey uh, when we talk about this, both from uh, the agency level or a state level, but it's also what's gone into all of this has also been a journey. And you get a sense of, of even the, the holistic approach that it took to create the workforce development framework. And uh, from what we've heard so far and, and through the next few podcasts that we're going to have on this series on workforce development, you're going to hear some stories about how, how states, how agencies, and even at an individual level, when partnering with, with a university, how you're going to hear how that holistic approach has really been taken and has shown some improvements really across the board and across the nation. Hey, Charmaine and Sharon, I can't thank you enough for you guys, um, not only for your time here today, but but folks listening, they have been educating me along the way. And so they, these, are, these are my two workforce senseis here. And so I, I want to thank you guys both for the time you've spent with me on this and then the time you're spending here uh, on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Well, thank you. you know, as Charmaine said earlier, this is our favorite topic. We're excited to be here. We're excited to share what we're learning and what the jurisdictions we've been working with have learned. So thank you so much for having us on. Thank you. Our pleasure. You've been a great pupil too. <laughs> so coming up over the next few episodes, we're going to hear about an entire state and how they implemented a holistic approach to improving the culture and environment of their workforce, the people, the processes, and tools. We'll also focus on how a select group of local agencies empowered their staff to design their own solutions, many of which were the low-hanging fruit that you just heard about. And we'll also see how one university school of social work is incorporating leadership development and one-on-one -on -one guidance into its programs, while partnering directly with the state to create a multi-pronged continuous quality improvement system. And we'll hear about all of that from one student's point of view. Again, if you go to this episode's webpage over at acf.hhs.gov cb, just search podcasts, we'll have links to the workforce development framework and the toolkit that Sharon and Charmaine discussed. So I really want to thank both Charmaine Britton and Sharon Collar over at NICWI for bringing this to light and working with me. You know, when we first came up with the idea of creating a series on workforce development, they let me pick their brains and ask a ton of questions. So, hey, stay tuned for the other podcasts of this series, and I encourage you to jump back and listen to our earlier episodes, including our three-part series on engaging fathers and our episodes on diligent recruitment, all available over at acf.hhs.gov cb. And thanks so much for being a part of this and joining us every month here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.